You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Jason Nitz of Warforged and Spent Case. There's this episode and over 440 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Blake, and welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast. And thank you for hanging out with me. As you probably already can tell, this sounds a little bit different because I'm recording this while watching the oil drain from my truck in slightly below freezing weather. Uh, It's a long story. I won't get into that, but it's something I got to do right now. But more importantly, the shred shed is slightly dismantled for another reconfiguration, hopefully to help along the workflow. So this was the best I could do for the intro, which needed to get out tonight. So anyway, shout out Nick from Playback Engineering. I'm sure he'll make everything sound as good as it possibly can for a random dad standing out in his side yard working on his pickup truck. Anyway, this one is going to sound a little bit different altogether because while I was in my normal recording place for the episode, the connection was a little bit weird. So Kelly and I might talk over each other a little bit here in parts. We had to break and come back a few times, and so the flow's not quite as smooth as normal, but his story is absolutely fascinating. And we're getting into the story of the First Act Custom Shop, which has been a question mark in the guitar industry for a lot of players for a very long time. And I won't rehash everything right here, but basically First Act got into making very high-end guitars, in the mid-2000s, and people were very confused because everyone knew them for basically their big, huge supermarket, like Walmart-style guitars for kids. And the custom shop confused a lot of pro players and a lot of guitar enthusiasts, myself included. And I wanted to get Kelly on because these guitars have become almost the stuff of legend. And he was instrumental in this happening, and I wanted to get him on to tell the whole story. Plus, he's just really fun, and he makes absolutely stunning instruments. So please check him out at K Butler Guitars, and I hope you enjoy this episode despite its weird little flaws here. And I want to note, just before we jump in here, that we're nearing the end of the month that you can get 10% off your Stumac order. I say this just because we're almost there. As soon as this drops, we are going to be out of that period, like before you even know it. So make sure you go to stumac.com slash tone mob so you can get 10% off of anything you're wanting to order. So check that out. And then let's get into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Lyland, and with me today, I have Kelly Butler from, well, lots of things. So we'll let him tell you about it. How's it going, man? Hey, hey. It's good to be here. (laughs) Yeah, here. We always say here, but usually we're not actually here. You know, it's kind of a weird thing. You you know, I just realized I don't actually know where you are right now. I'm in Tennessee. (laughs) 
So I am in Portland, Oregon, or just outside Portland, Oregon. Uh, Tennessee is my home away from home. I go to Nashville fairly frequently. So, yeah, love. I and love. And you Tennessee. never call. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I didn't know you were in Tennessee, so now I know. I'll have to call. So, where? Well, actually, whereabouts in Tennessee are you? Uh, I'm just south of Nashville in Franklin, Tennessee. I know right where that is. I grew All up right. in Nashville. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, Nashville's definitely my home away from home. And I imagine I'll be there at least once in 2023, if not multiple times. So we'll have to we'll have to get some uh, princes or something. I'm all in. I'm all in. <laughs> nice. So Kelly, I wanted to get you on primarily, well, for lots of reasons, but we had been talking online uh, about a lot of the first act stuff, which is probably a little bit confusing to some listeners. But if anybody pays attention to the heavier music communities, I think they'll see that there's been a resurgence of interest around the, what do you say, probably the early slash mid 2000s first act stuff, especially the custom shop stuff. And I know you had a heavy hand in all of that. And I thought most of us don't know the story there. Let's get you on to clue us in to what, what was going on back then. So the the whole first act custom shop thing was, uh, it, it was a fantastic experience. They were, uh, they were primarily known as a company that made, um, entry level instruments that were for sale at mass retail places like Walmart and Toys R Us and Target and, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And, um, they decided they wanted to try to lend some credibility to the brand name by making some pro level guitars and getting them in the hands of, of artists. So they, uh, they brought me on board to, to do that, to kind of set up that custom shop and run it and do design work and the whole deal. Um, they hired me away from the, from the Gibson custom shop mm -hmm. to come do that. And after, I mean, I showed up in, moved away from Tennessee, showed up in Boston and they handed me a, a key to a big empty shop and, uh, and a company credit card and said, go make guitars. Whoa. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, which is a little different as you might imagine from the corporate structure at Gibson. It was a little oh, more yeah. restrictive. Um, so I, I asked uh, the owner, I said, you know, what, so what kind of guitars do you want to make? What are we doing here? He said, he just said to me, Kelly, you're the expert, you decide. And, you know, for a guy, a guy that makes guitars, that's kind of a, a dream job to have that kind of um, financial backing and, uh, and uh, corporate structure to, to help you along with it. It was, a, it was a great thing. So started to, uh, we started to develop some stuff and we quickly realized that it was going to be uh, more than a, a one man operation. Mm -hmm. So um, we brought on a couple more guys from the Gibson custom shop, um, Bill Jankar and John McGuire. And uh, essentially, and, and, you know, it really, I had a great crew there, a, a great group of guys and, and they're, um, they're very responsible as much as anyone for everything that went on there. But um, 
you could kind of say that the first act custom shop stuff was built by the Gibson custom shop employees. <laughs> right. Um, and, and in our effort to, to get, get these guitars in the hands of artists, we also brought Jimmy Archie on board also from, from Gibson at the time as our, our artist relations guy. And if you know, Jimmy, you know, Jimmy knows everybody and everybody knows Jimmy. Yep. He's, um, yeah, it, it, he was, uh, instrumental in getting, getting these guitars in the hands of a lot of the, a lot of these mid two thousands, uh, artists, a lot of them, a lot of the artists that you would see on, um, on the vans on the warp tour and stuff like that. Those guys, probably just about every band that was on the warp tour in the mid two thousands were they had at least one first act custom shop guitar in their arsenal. And, uh, really that was, uh, really, really Jimmy Archie steering the, steering the ship as far as that part goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was a great, a great time. And, uh, we, uh, we made some great guitars that I'm still, still proud of today. And, uh, a lot of people are kind of looking for them now because I mean, they, there hasn't been anything made. The custom shop shut down, I think in 2010, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so those guitars are, you know, harder to find and people aren't really letting go of them. So yeah, great stuff. And, uh, and, uh, it was a, fantastic fantastic journey through through all of that the the difficult part for us in the custom shop was understanding that our whole reason for existing as the custom shop was to drive to 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 lend credibility to the brand name and Mm -hmm. drive sales at the mass retail level so that that was a little hard for us because we wanted to we wanted the custom shop to be the thing, you know, but it, first act was much larger than just the custom shop. Right. So we, right. that was a difficult pill for us to, to swallow as creative individuals who just want to make a bunch of cool guitars and sell them and get them out there on the market, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, that's an interesting strategy specifically because, you know, I think Fender does that really well with, you know, the Squires and things like that, but they are very specifically in guitar retail. Yes, they do have products in Walmarts and Costco's and stuff as well, but it's not what you think of first. You know, with First Act, that was the first thing you thought of was the ones in those big box retailers, and the customers that shop at those big box retailers aren't even going to necessarily be aware that the custom shop exists. So it's kind of a an interesting strategy. You're right you know, to, I almost think it, that it, it should have stood on its own in, in some ways. It's kind of, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. You know, we, I remember interviewing for the position and saying at that time that the custom shop stuff probably should be under a different brand or something, you know, to, because of the already preconceived uh, notion about first act as a brand itself and I, I brought that up a lot in in meetings and things like that until at one point they uh the the one of the owners said don't bring that up again 
we're not doing that. <laughs> you know, so that was that was where I had to really understand what what our you know reason for existing was. Sure. And yeah, you're you're right that it, it it's much easier to come out with your your higher end product and then offer a a uh, less expensive version of it than it is to start off with the really really inexpensive stuff and then all of a sudden we're you're making higher end stuff it it's right. it's a difficult business model had had we been had we started the other way had we started as a guitar company the custom shop and then offered first act as our entry level product then maybe things would have been a little more understandable but they were a company that was um i guess the the whole guitar thing was was a they saw an opportunity to fill a, a hole in the mass retail market mm-hmm. because at the time there really weren't any guitars in the mass retail market there used to be a lot like when i was a kid growing up we would we would thumb through the sears catalog and look at guitars you know and and those were available then, but uh, now, or at least at the time when First Act started their mass retail line, there was a hole in the market that they were just trying to fill. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Maris X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations in 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my talkie? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than two bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. Okay, sorry folks, we got disconnected there for a second, but we are back and things appear to be okay for the moment, so fingers crossed. But um, anyway, we were talking about the the strategy and everything around First Act. Uh, were you there when they did finally decide to 
shut down the custom shop or were you already gone? So the way that kind of happened, it was right around um, near, near the end of 2008. I, I started the thing in 2002 and uh, mm-hmm. near the end of 2008 or mid 2008, something like that, I started noticing that some of the marketing money that was uh, being used to promote the custom shop stuff, you know, as far as ads in guitar magazines and that sort of thing, a lot of the attention was starting to be focused on other, other things that the company was trying to do. And I, I kind of got the feeling, you know what, I think they're about, I think they're almost done with this custom guitar shop project. Mm-hmm. So, um, I started thinking, I started thinking maybe I need to, maybe it's time for me to move on. So I, I took a position with a, uh, a non-guitar entity back in Tennessee and, uh, m- moved back to Tennessee. And it seems like within about six months of me leaving, they, f- they let go about half the staff in the, uh, in the custom shop. And then, uh, John McGuire with a uh, with kind of a skeleton crew continued to he kind of took over running the shop and he continued mm-hmm. I think for maybe maybe about two years I, I want to say it was roughly about two years that he continued doing it before they finally decided to just sh- shut it down completely Wow. And that's, and that's that's, that's a, one of the problems with being really more our shop really was more of a marketing entity than it was a revenue generator. So that's what's going to happen. At some point a company is going to decide hey let's you know let's market something else now or let's let's stop investing in this marketing plan and invest in a different marketing plan. Mhm. So based on your experience at Gibson, would you say that the approach is somewhat similar at those at Fender and Gibson as well? Because obviously they sell way more custom shop than most people do, but it still seems like it's a prestige move more than what really brings in the money for them, at least outside looking in. Well, I mean, in a way you're right, but Fender and Gibson as well as others are, established well-known guitar companies right first act was not what you would call a guitar company uh, as a whole where they were mm-hmm. um I, I, I don't want this to sound weird but they could have been if they had recognized a hole in the mass retail market for toasters that's what they would have been making was right toasters. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, they're, they're I so, they were what what can we make and what can we sell to make money and make this company profitable? So for a while, mm-hmm. for a good while, it was it was it was guitars. But Fender, Fender and Gibson and whoever else, they're always going to be guitar companies and not they're not going to be making um, little musical toy puzzles for three year olds. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So I want to ask you about some other non-first act related things. But before we do that, I want to talk about something that I'm actually looking at right now. And it's probably the thing that most people, the, the, the people had most 
exposure to, whether they are aware of it or not. But so many people remember the commercials with Volkswagen and First Act and John Mayer and Slash and Nigel Tufnell, right? That was that was the three. How did that happen? So I I'm guessing that it was a it was probably First Act's idea. And the way it worked was that if you bought uh, certain Volkswagen cars during that time period, it came with a first act guitar that was engineered to work with the sound system in the car, which was really cool. You could uh, you could plug it right into the system and you're cranking through the speakers. It had an onboard uh, V-stack unit that actually makes some great has great distortion sounds and stuff like that in it. And uh, not that you couldn't play it through an amp, you know, it doesn't have to work with the car, but uh, yeah, that was a, it was a great marketing idea I thought. And uh, there's tons of those guitars out there today. As a result of that, you can find them just about anywhere. I've seen people playing them live on stage, various in various places. And, uh, that was, um, I, I remember when they were getting ready for, to shoot the commercials for that, in particular, the ones with Slash, those, um, those guitars that were used in the commercials, to the best of my memory, we made those in the custom shop because they hadn't really gone into production yet. So we sent this thing out West to Slash to shoot this commercial. And then we get this, um, we get a call and slash says he doesn't play white guitars. So, so (laughs) they're supposed to shoot this thing in like two days. So we have to build another guitar. We have to, you know, shoot it black to get, to get him to uh, follow through with the agreement. And um, we did it. We got it done. We were there all night you know, and overnight shipping and all that stuff. I'm surprised the thing wasn't stuck to the inside of the case when he received it. But, uh, cause it, yeah, it was, it was a rush job, but, uh, it caused a big stink with Gibson as well, because, uh, slash also at that same time had a, as he still does, had a signature model with Gibson. So for him to be sure. in a national commercial, uh, playing a different guitar, promoting a different guitar company and a car company at the same time, they were not happy about that. And I'm sure. Yeah, I not long, not long before all that, I had received an invitation to a party at the Gibson Custom Shop because I, I worked there a long time, had a lot of friends there, but I, I also uh, received an official uninvitation to that party when all that stuff went down. Yeah. It was kind of funny. It it was silly, but, uh, yeah, my recollection, I think the West coast Gibson's West coast artist relations guy got, may have actually gotten fired for that happening. Like not that he even had anything to do with it, but they viewed it as he let it happen. But, you know, really it's just about money. The offer, uh, a guy that plays guitar for a living, you offer him enough money, he'll play guitar for a living for you. 
So that's right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they did the commercials and uh, the thing with, and I think it was, I think the commercials were great really with, with Slash and John Mayer. And then the Nigel Tufnell one was fantastic. I don't know if you saw that, but he, he falls off the guitar, off the top of the car and it, it was great. And uh, it was, it was a really cool thing. And I think it did a lot for promoting the company at that time. But it was a fun project. So, yeah, the the videos I remember, I was the perfect age for those when they came out. I, I remember just being obsessed. You know, Fuse was a big uh, MTV yeah. competitor at the time. Yeah. And those those videos were all over Fuse. And, I you know, I'll be there watching my like punk rock videos and stuff. And all of a sudden, yeah, Slash is coming on, playing into the car. I remember, yeah. like, whoa, you can plug into the car? That's the coolest thing I've ever seen. You know, I was just, my mind was was blown. But it's funny that you brought up the Gibson thing because knowing a little bit about Gibson, especially at the time yeah. uh, under the uh, the Henry regime, I thought there's no way that they were okay with this. There's absolutely no, no way. <laughs> they were not okay with it. They were not okay with it. And, and that was... Uh, you know, as you as you said, under the Henry regime, he kept everything very uh, very tight, and he didn't. Uh, a lot of it was ego driven, from from what I could tell in my position when I was there. It was, uh, yeah, I I can imagine him. Uh, I I can imagine him in a meeting just screaming and yelling and tearing his hair out in front of everybody once those commercials aired. <laughs> So uh, th this is kind of a random question, and I know these are very different departments, but I, I feel like I kind of have to ask just out of curiosity. Uh, did you know a man by the name of Chris Gilchrist when you worked there? You know, I know that name. Um, he he I don't, was I don't in charge know if I of, it. I don't know uh, at that time what his role was, but when he left Gibson here a few years ago, he was basically in charge of uh, dealer sales. Uh, he ran the whole, everybody that worked with the dealer, he was in charge of those people. At least that's my understanding of his role. But uh, he, he works He works for us at Stringjoy now and has for a few years. Oh, He's a great dude. Great. Great. Yeah. Yeah, he, he may have been, he may have been a little more corporate than I was at that point. I was, you know, I was on a bench doing, you know, custom builds and, and design stuff and repairs and, and that sort of thing. So I, I may not have met him, but the name does sound familiar. I was there. Or he may have been there after I left, though. I was there from 95 uh, through 02 until I went to okay. went to first act. Got it. Got it. So actually, I do want to ask you this question. How did first act find you? Uh, it was on a dating app. They were looking for <laughs> handsome wow, guys. Very, very yeah. progressive. Yeah. Yeah. Not they, a lot of dating they, apps. They were early adopters as I was. They were looking for like the handsomest guy they could find who could oh, also yeah. make guitars. And I mean, you see it. I mean, look at. I see know, it. Yeah. See I see it. it. They, they, they swiped right or left. Actually, they I don't sure know did. which way is good. Yeah. So, yeah. They uh, actually. Somehow, one of my buddies who was working in the pro shop. So at that time, Gibson had a small division within the custom shop called the pro shop, 
which I, okay. I don't think exists anymore. And there were only like, I think there were like five of us that were in the pro shop. And somehow one of my buddies got wind that this company was looking for, looking for someone to do this gig. And, uh, he had, uh, he got an interview and he told me about it and he, he just, he wasn't interested in it. And, uh, so he told me about it. I sent him the resume, obviously with, you know, a, uh, an eight by 10 glossy headshot so they could see all this. And I sure, think that's what sure. sold it. Yeah. I mean, that had to have been it. That had to, there's, there's no way that didn't seal the deal. Absolutely Clearly. no way. Clearly. <laughs> so you got out of the guitar business for a while. You were doing yeah. some non-guitar things, but th it feels like it's one of those, you know, Godfather type things. Like just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in because you're back at it. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I'm doing stuff under my, under my brand name, K Butler guitars. And, um, you know, if you look at, if you look at my stuff, clearly I'm, I'm doing some of the first act shapes, body shapes, obviously. Sure. And a lot of, some of it is just because I feel like it, it could have done more had it not been for the, uh, for the brand name itself. Um, mm -hmm. and I feel like some of those designs maybe didn't get, didn't get a, a good enough look, didn't get a fair shake, uh, out in the industry. So yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, kind of, uh, revamping some of that kind of remixing it. Um, and, uh, you know, you can, you can see, you can definitely see the, it's weird to say influence because it was pretty much my stuff already already right. you know <laughs> i mean not that i not that i made every decision a lot of what we did the majority of what we did there at first act was was a uh, the result of the whole team looking at things mm -hmm. I, I might if i designed whatever drew something up on some paper and i might uh I might have five, six different versions of it that I would lay out on, on the drafting table and have the rest of the guys, you know, kind of vote and see which ones they liked best. Cause sometimes uh, I was too close to it to make a, make the, the best decision on it. So I would, I would always run it by the, uh, as I call them, the council of geniuses. And they would, uh, then I would go with, you know, whatever, whatever everyone seemed to like the most. So, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's kind of what so, I'm doing with the K Butler guitars as well. So maybe you can clear up some of these things. You, you know, there's, there's people who weren't really around at the time that have now fallen in love with some of these instruments. And sometimes people are making videos about them and they're sort of speculating on the design elements and where they have came from. And I know you've chimed in on some of the conversations, but what actually sometimes, did inspire some of these designs? Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I chime in when I should probably just keep my mouth shut to be quite honest, but <laughs> um, it's not, my, it's not my strong point really. Uh, so, so really like, what, what are you asking there? with that so i guess uh, what were some like these are really cool looking designs 
and they are unique and different, but they feel like they've been around before. So where do you get some of your yeah. inspiration from? So to me, like, you don't need to, you don't need to reinvent the wheel with the guitar. And I've said this before, as, as much as guitar players want to envision themselves as these super creative and unique individuals, and in many ways they are, but when it comes to their instrument, most of the time they're, they tend to be very traditional. So there's, there's been a lot of, there've been a lot of guitars out there who were, where they were very innovative and very, uh, had a lot of really unique features, but in spite of all that, they failed for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just always thought that a lot of times with, when you, when you over advertise these, these innovations, you, you, you kind of lose people. I've always thought that you should put your innovations in quietly and let people discover them. And then they're not as likely to be shit on, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So, so I guess my influence as far as design goes, uh, tends to be generally, uh, generally traditional and um, I have things that that I like, like like if you look at the K Butler guitars, if you look at the sixty four, it's a, a small double cutaway body, and my favorite guitar growing up was always the uh, the double cut Les Paul Special. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to didn't want to just rip off that guitar and just start making those. I mean, you can anybody anybody could you'll get that old cease and desist letter in the mail but <laughs> yeah but i you know i just just take the the basic of that as what it is a a, a smaller solid body guitar with a nice sort of a, a fattish neck on it and it's it's uh somewhat bare bones which you know i grew up i grew up in the punk rock era you know i i feel fortunate to have have seen the the birth of punk rock i saw the birth of rap i saw the birth of metal you know and so mm -hmm. all all of that stuff influences me and the things that some of my guitar heroes played i just want to do i guess my version of that so you know i'm not gonna like i said i don't want to just make a, a double cut les paul special there's already a company out there that makes those i don't know if you if you ever heard of them but they do that and so with <laughs> with that's what kind of what my 64 is is kind of based on really it's it's meant to be a kind of a bare bones punk rock guitar it's all rock and roll all balls all day you know mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then if you look at something like um like from first act if you look at the lola guitar that was um, a single cutaway version of a guitar that I originally kind of designed at at Gibson at Gibson Custom Shop, which was never intended really to be in production, but it became the the last thing I did before I left Gibson was I I did this one off guitar for a show, and it became the the Johnny A signature model as a oh a, yeah yeah yeah. So it wasn't intended to be that, 
when I, when I originally designed it, um, it was just, just something cool I wanted to do. And, uh, it became the Johnny A signature model. And then at first act, when we did the Lola guitar, which was a single cutaway, we did that as a double cut for a couple of different artists. And, um, a lot of people kind of liked that. So we, we had the Lola and then we had the, the double cut Lola and then kind of modified that just a little kind of, kind of open, kind of opened up the cutaways just a little bit and did it in a carved top version, which was, became the, what we called the DC nine and the DC six, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, there's a, there were a lot of artists out there playing those at the time. I say a lot, there were some, some well-known artists out there playing that at the time, but ultimately all that started with the, the Johnny A signature model that, that was at Gibson for so long. Okay, cool. Yeah. This, um, this is why I wanted to get you on this history. It's a history lesson for all of us. Cause we all, none of us know where these things come from. We just remember, like, I remember specifically uh, a band and, and the guy actually came on the show here several years ago, but, um, uh, the band cancer bats uh yeah and love that band they, they oh they're so so good so good. highly underrated uh, band d- definitely they don't they don't get enough love and uh they they should get all of the love but i remember watching them and they and and reading about them in like alternative press and it's funny that you say like you talk about the uh you know the brand you know how you were suggesting that maybe they do this under a different brand because everybody I know, and I was a pretty new guitarist at the time, but even st- still you have a pretty good idea of like who the, the top nice brands are. It's like, Oh yeah. Gibson yeah. Fender, you know, some Ibanez stuff. Like, y- you know who the, the big brands are. And I remember reading about them in a magazine because I, I loved them so much. And I was like, plays a first act. like everybody i know had that same reaction like wait a minute he plays a first act that doesn't make any sense but at the time we didn't know the story nor did did most people otherwise i think the reaction would have been much different and it's interesting that it took so many years for it finally to catch on and and it's funny how i i think i heard about it the same way that most people did which is like sort of like a, a hushed whisper like no, did you actually know like the first act custom shop was like really, really good? It was all like ex Gibson people, and they actually made like really, really nice. Good, like it's kind of like this hushed thing that's now a well known open. It's not really even a secret anymore. It's but it's totally yeah. out in the open, and now these things are hard to get. Uh, my friend Steve from Does It Doom is like obsessed with them, and he—I don't think he's got three or four of them at this point. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I think Steve. <laughs> he's I think always Steve is buying always them all up. those yep. things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this episode's probably not going to help that, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, they're they're getting they're getting more expensive and uh, harder to find. And um, yeah, Steve has been really grabbing up. From what I can tell, he's grabbing up all the DC sixes and DC nines that he can get his hands on out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Steve's a good dude. Well, the good news is. He is. He's a great dude, and he provides a lot of really great information on his page for people that Agreed. are into that kind of stuff. Or if you're just into like learning how to 
how to tune your guitars differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he yeah. does, a, he provides a lot of great info for your your average player. Um, so I was going to say, but the great news is, you know, since you're making these yourself now, I'm assuming here in the shop that we're we're looking at here on the screen, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see all my so, nice insulation and stuff there. Yeah. Well, well, it's custom. It's custom it insulation. Is full yeah. custom. Yes. Full custom. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's very very specific spec. Uh, most people wouldn't really understand. So no, it's, 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 you don't have to go into the details. Man, I mean, it's so much science stuff that, like, I don't even think, I don't even think people could understand it. <laughs> it's crazy. But when did when did the the your own brand when did you actually start doing so, that? how long has it been around really only started doing it i guess a couple maybe three years ago r- roughly about three years ago mm-hmm. and uh partnered with some good folks um who are um kind of my business partners in this and i in addition to my own brand i i kind of do some ghost building for a couple of other small companies that I can't really bring up right now, but, um, sure. There's, uh, it's been, been about three years and I'm not really trying to be uh, a big, some, some big production company. I'm not looking to crank out, you know, guitars by the hundreds or anything, but they, they tend to be the guitars that people are getting from me tend to be very personal to them. They're kind of getting them, uh, to do some specific things with. And a lot of people kind of, it seems right now, a lot of people are kind of looking for a little something, something a little different, something maybe not everybody has, or, you know, something that Mm -hmm. they can get, get kind of customized to their specs. So I do a lot of that, a lot of that type thing. That's cool. Do you also do like uh, repair and maintenance type stuff too, or is it primarily just building? So I, I do a little bit of repair, not, not that much. I, I used to do a lot more repair, but I, I kind of just do that for some some buddies and some some old customers. I'll, I'll keep doing stuff for them. Uh, I do teach at the uh, Musicians Institute Guitar Craft Academy here in Nashville. Um, so there's there's some good good young talent uh, getting out there into the industry right now that um, I've been fortunate enough to, to play as at least a small role in their, in their uh, quest in the guitar building and repair. I've been doing that since, uh, well, since 2017. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I know uh, my partner, Scott, he's went down there and, and he's done a few, a few presentation on, a few presentations, excuse me, on strings, which uh, yeah. most people probably yeah, think yeah. is a snooze fest, but we're super nerdy about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and, and I haven't, but, I haven't been able to be there when he was there, but everybody was always, uh, always thought it was a great presentation every time he's come to do that. Yeah, it's a lot of information that you didn't know you wanted to know. I remember the first time he came on this episode he reached out or excuse me, came on this podcast, which is how we ended up be, you know, hooking up and becoming business partners. Uh, my initial reaction was like, what, I'm going to talk to this guy about strings for an hour. Like how, yeah. how are we going to do that? That, that sounds really it, boring. You know, it's not, it's very it's, interesting it's, stuff. Yeah. And 
at the school over there, really, we any any knowledge that we can uh, impart to the students, we're anxious to do it. Whether it comes from from the staff, us as instructors, or whether we bring in guys from various other companies to to talk about some details, it's it's important that they know we we offer them as much knowledge as as we can. We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Bliss and Good Hertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with very compressed audio. You're hearing it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my playing dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about Lossy, I invite you to head over to chaseflintsaudio.com. I think you're going to like what you find. Yeah, that's super important, too, because I think a lot of people, uh, string specifically, they, they even at many of the other Lutheran schools, it's not really a subject that gets touched on a whole lot. It's it's actually shocking how little information is out there about the thing that actually makes the sound of a guitar. It's, it's, it's you're, kind of insane. You're right. You're you're right about that. There's uh, it it gets overlooked because so many people are used to just going to whatever local guitar store and grabbing a pack of strings, whatever brand name they maybe recognize, and they don't really put much thought into what is this string, what is this set of strings actually going to do? What does it make this sound like? And why does it, why does it sound the way it does? Why mm-hmm. is this my favorite set of strings? You know? Yep. Yeah. And I think for most people, when they ask themselves that question, why is this my favorite set? They don't know the answer. They just, they'll, they don't. they'll say, Oh, I, I like, I like it because it feels good. Well, if you haven't played anything else in 10 years, how do you know what feels good or feels bad? <laughs> you know, it's I, like I, it's, uh, it's subjective. I agree. Guitar players as a whole, guitar players and bass players need to 
stretch out a little bit, you know, try a lot of different things. Don't be too, too close minded when it comes to your instruments and your strings and your pickups and all that stuff. Yeah. There's a whole world of stuff to experiment with out there. That's, that's what we got to do. We got to experiment. We got to test out new things. I uh, never once in my life thought I'd become a digital amp guy and I still play tube amps, but when I'm recording Mm -hmm. half the time now, it's, it's a, it's a plugin. It's, I never thought that was going to be me, but here I am. (laughs) Who'd have thought? Look at you. All grown up. I live long enough to, to become a villain, I guess. Is, uh, is that the term? Is that how that works? (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) So. What uh, what does the day to day life look like for somebody in your shoes? Well, obviously, you talked about some of the things you do. You talked about you know the musicians in- institute, and uh, you talked about you're building guitars. But you know, you wake up, you put your shoes on, you grab yourself a cup of coffee, and what what's the average day look like? I spend like the first hour or two in makeup, and uh, sure, you know, hair. my hair did my nails done mm-hmm. all that and uh then I, I put on my my superman suit just like everybody else you know hey, this right here <laughs> this this probably looks you probably think this is just some old hoodie this isn't a hood it's a it's actually a cape oh and, that makes a lot of sense you know i thought i saw you fly into your chair earlier I'm, I'm, is that is that right i'm fairly amazing just you came just down so you from know. the ceiling I, I guess we should have been recording. I hope you got that all happened. that on that camera. Be... Yeah. Yeah. People want to see like, you see this, there's a, see that trophy sitting back there. Yeah. Yeah. That was my, uh, that was the first year that I won, uh, world's handsomest luthier. <laughs> that's a, that's a very competitive field. You know, I know you're now you know, there with the, with, with Brian Nutter and he's a good looking man. So that had to have Brian been really Nutter, Brian t- Nutter, Brian Nutter. Yeah. Mm. Nutter guitars. Uh, I don't think he I've was ever also heard a, uh, 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 I don't know what you would call him, a, a sideman in Nashville for for many hmm. many years. Played with a lot of big big names. Um, Brian Nutter. Hmm. hmm. I have to look him up. <laughs> uh, I I know Brian. I know Brian very well. He's he's a great Brian's a great player. He's a great builder, and a handsome man in his own right. He is a handsome man. And uh, he'll tell you detailed he'll his harrowing. He, he will. He will. He detailed his rather harrowing experience with a nut, um, not a guitar nut, uh, about killing him uh, on this podcast. And it was uh, it was it was the scariest sto- food based story I've ever heard in my entire life. It was horrifying. <laughs> yes. I don't mean to laugh because uh, it, it was so bad. Yeah, that happened at at the school that was crazy i was uh i was actually not not on staff for that particular semester i mean i was on staff but i wasn't active for that particular semester and then i mm-hmm. got a call from the director asking if i could if i could take over a few classes and i was like yeah sure why and then he told me about it i'm like i i had no idea but yeah that was that was awful it was insane. I, we don't need to rehash it all here, but listeners, uh, go back and check out the episode with Brian Nutter from uh, probably about a year and a half, two years ago, something somewhere in that ballpark. It is the craziest story I've heard in a. It, it's absolutely insane. 
So go check that yeah. out. He's he's a really cool dude. That is a great episode, and it's one of the most insane experiences I've ever heard, <laughs> ever. It's yeah, it was whew. it was it was crazy. He, he yeah, he's um, we're, we're glad he's still around. Absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, I, I so, mean, I'm Kelly, not. I'm, oh, oh. <laughs> but I mean, some You're people not? are. No, no, some people are happy he's around, but I you're a little bit upset about be. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he made you. Ha- he made you have to go to work. That jerk. I know. I mean, I was chilling, and then have to go to work all because of him. So I blame no, him, man. I, I would. I think he'll probably accept that blame. I think he will. <laughs> yeah. So you, uh, you mentioned that you grew up, you know, in the in the punk rock. The birth of punk rock, I believe, is what you said. Uh, what do you I mean? What, were you like an active part of the scene, or were you just a casual uh, observer and enjoyer? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean just just the time period because I'm old. I I was uh, I just was able to witness the birth of of punk rock and see it in its infancy and see it grow and and kind of die and kind of come back and. <laughs> then then become pop punk and i don't know it, it was a cool thing i mean of course you know if you live here in in the nashville area you got to be in in bands you, you got to be sure. in a thousand bands mm-hmm. and back in those days in the uh let's say the uh early 80s especially nashville had a really really pretty amazing and diverse uh kind of alternative music scene there were lots of uh lots of punk bands lots of metal bands lots of what was termed alternative at the time um we had a great college radio station here that really supported it and um it was not it wasn't out of the question for bands to kind of um you know score record deals and that sort of thing out of nashville back that was obviously back when a record deal was something that you you strived for and right. um, there was a lot of that back in those days. A lot of bands out there touring, and I, I, I played in. I don't. I couldn't tell you how many bands. It was like whoever, whoever was needing. I was a bass player, so it was whoever was needing a bass player at the time. I was, I was out there, and um, there was some. There was a point where I had some had some moderate success in getting to uh, getting the old record deal and getting to. Uh, tour and and uh have you the have the old mtv video and that sort of thing of course you know those are all days long gone there's no uh i don't know that mtv even exists anymore at least not not as it did back back in the early days pre i guess pre youtube i think it's i think it's just a vehicle for the kardashians these days like that's pretty much all all mtv is <laughs> aren't we all <laughs> You know what? You might be right about that. Yeah, We're all just like living in true. the giant shadow, the giant butt shadow of the Kardashians. That's right. That's it's a it's cold down here in the shadow. Wish I could get some sunlight. <laughs> Those things are really blocking out that the whole the whole UV race UV race situation down here is a little bit rough. <laughs> maybe they'll maybe they'll things shine on us on at some podcast. point. It'll probably just be a reflection. Yeah. <laughs> You know, <laughs> oh man, what was the band called? Oh, the one that uh, was on MTV. 
nothing you, nothing you ever heard of it it was called the hardcore we were <laughs> we were so yeah here's our little claim to fame we were the first video ever to be played on on yo mtv raps and headbangers ball at the same time <laughs> all right you know what i'm yeah. looking up after this podcast is over <laughs> yeah i'm going down yeah. the youtube rabbit hole i'm gonna find it yeah i'll have <laughs> to i'll have to chart i'll have to charge you for that that's i'll send you an invoice okay you, you're gonna you can go ahead and send it i'll pay yeah. it when i uh when i get around to it uh, if that sure. works for you <laughs> yeah uh, it probably be the most money I've made off of that that thing in 30 years. <laughs> well, we've had to have a couple breaks here and there, so I'm I'm been watching the clock, trying to do some mental math and make sure we're we're roughly on on schedule here. Uh, so we are getting fairly close to the the end of the episode, if I'm doing my math correctly. But before I ask the classic questions that I like to wrap these these episodes up on. I like to give the guests uh, the time to take the stage to shout out whoever they want to shout out, plug anything they want to plug, or just tell the world how good looking they are. So now you know, is your opportunity. I, I, I kind of don't feel like I need to tell anybody how good looking I am, to be quite honest. I mean, <laughs> if they're look, if you're looking, you see it. That's all. I mean, I don't know really what else to say <laughs> well, about that. Well, you, you should probably you should probably describe it a little bit because while we do have video here, primarily this is an audio podcast. That's where most people listen to it. So you might want to like describe the Adonis like features that you know that so um, people really get a a good good idea of what we're working with here. You ever hear that song uh, by I forget who it was by called More Than Words? Uh -huh. More than words yeah, could ever stream. That's yeah. what I look like. That's exactly what I look like. So, I mean, I'd have to like invent words. I don't even know what, you know, I don't have that kind of time, but it's, it's something. Um, it's something for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, world's handsomest Lucy are for probably, I guess, 30 years running. Uh, they, I think they yeah. even stopped having the contest just because it was, wasn't even fair. But mm -hmm. you they know what? It. Uh, they did. They did. I would, uh, as far as shouting out to people, you know what? Um, my friends kind of know who they are, I guess. But uh, I'm looking forward to some stuff in the next year. Um, probably, I'm probably saying something about this uh, a little, probably a little too early, but going to do some things with God City Instruments. Um, <gasps> that no we're way. we're kind of excited about and um maybe i'll just float that out there but but some cool cool stuff that that's um that i'm excited about as kurt is as well i think and probably oh, yeah. probably mid 2023 you'll see some of those some of those things get out there on the market and uh going to continue building the k butler guitars the 64 the shark um really excited about the shark bass that i've done uh i've done a few of uh, maybe a handful 10 12 something like that and uh mm -hmm. it's kind of the bass that i would have kind of wish i had had when i was when i was out there playing it's it's got its own thing going on it's got a got some unique tones to it 
it's got some uh we use the duo mag pickups in those which are uh not like anything else out there it, it you couldn't really pin it down to well is it a p or a j or a whatever it's it's not any of those it's got its own it's in its own world it's um it's a rock bass through and through it's it's hugely powerful um you know and if you if you look back in the archives and see like the old um the first act delgada bass mm-hmm. tone wise tone wise it kind of lives in that area it's it's um the, and you know oddly the duo mag pickups are also uh what we used in the dc6 and dc9 in, on a lot of those there oh. it's it's the same pickup in the guitar and the bass. Um, so the, it's, it's really a bass that's got its own thing going on. It's, it's, it's monstrous tone wise. And um, it's the kind of thing that'll make an old fat guy like me want to come out of retirement and play bass again or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not. I like it. That's super cool. You're not going to? No? Can't talk you into it? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the public is clamoring for it. So, I mean, maybe I'll have to, but. <laughs> and after yeah. this episode, you never know. You never know what could happen. Yeah. There's, there's okay. a, a line I'll... of fans outside the shop now. <laughs> just, just blowing, right? Just, just yeah. a spin in yeah. their blades. Oh, or different kind of fan. Oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Um, all right. Final questions of the episode. These are what I call the classic questions. And uh, the first one's usually pretty easy. Second one gets a little dicey, but we'll start start with the first one here. What is your favorite boss pedal? So favorite boss pedal, I, I will tell you that I used uh, an Octaver and an Overdrive a lot back back mm-hmm. when I was playing bass professionally. I used those things a lot, and I really liked them. Let's see it. People, I thought that that question was going to, you know, when I first started asking people that, I thought it was going to be like a, hmm, maybe, hmm, uh, I don't know. I thought people were going to really have to think about it. And some people do, but most of the time it's just that easy. They just pull it out and they're like, this, this is my favorite boss pedal. Like, okay, this is a cleaner, cleaner question than I anticipated. But the final question. I I loved them. What do you got? A final question is the controversial one. What is your favorite kind of pizza? <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you something stupid about pizza. I growing up around Nashville, <laughs> growing up around Nashville, we didn't have anything around here for pizza except the chain chain pizza places. You know, Pizza Pizza sure. Hut, Domino's, uh, whatever. And so I always heard people talking about good pizza. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I like Domino's. I had no idea. And when I moved up to Boston, I was like, oh, okay. So this is good pizza. There was some really good pizza up in Boston. (laughs) I couldn't tell you a brand name. It was just like, you know, little, little places that made pizza. And, and then venturing on out into New York and stuff and getting pizza at any place there, it was all great. So now in Nashville, we have uh, Five Points Pizza, which is yeah excellent. And I, I love it, and I get it whenever I can get out there. So we'll say Five Points Pizza. 
Five points is a classic. I love five points. Uh, and to anyone that lives in Nashville, I always like to throw out uh, one that's a little bit newer. They started making pizza during lockdown because they had to have something to deliver. And they do an incredible job. And it's at, at Smith & Lentz Brewing. They make incredible pizza there. I highly suggest checking that out if you uh, get the opportunity to because it is Oh, I still think well, about now, it. It's it's now, very now good. That, <laughs> now that you said it, I'm going to go over there tonight. Hey, there you go. Good timing. I'll tell him you sent me. Is that does that get me anything? <laughs> I um, they might throw you out actually, oh, so don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. I've been thrown out of places. That's all right. <laughs> we got to get the pizza first, then you can yeah. tell them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Well, Kelly, thank you so much for hanging out. This was a really fun chat. And thank you for the uh, the history lesson and the education on all the first act stuff. Uh, we'll see what kind of problems we can cause in the Patreon section. Does that sound good? Well, sounds great. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. It's been a blast. Absolutely. All right, everyone. For Kelly, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Alrighty, folks, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Yes, I am back here in the side yard. The oil drip is about done. We've drained about all the oil we're going to get out of that. And I will be replacing said oil so said adventure can begin, which I guess you don't really need to know about. What you need to know about is that there are more conversations available on Patreon, including more with Kelly. Kelly and I get into some weird stuff. We have some more fun over on Patreon, and if you want to support the show and you want to get more beamed right to your ears, patreon.com slash tonemob is the place to do just that. So thank you to everyone that does that. It helps immensely. I can't thank you enough. And please, please, please share this with your friends. Subscribe. All that good stuff, it really, really helps. Sharing is the most important thing, though. If you can share this episode with somebody that you think really, really will get something out of it, it would mean the world to me, and it helps so, so, so much. I've said this a few times, but we were among the top 5% of podcasts shared on Spotify last year, and that is incredibly helpful. I said we. What I mean is me, because it is just me. I'm here literally by myself right as I record this. And it helps so much. It helps me keep going. Sharing this is the most immense thing and I really, really appreciate all of you for doing that. Please check out Kelly, and I hope you all have a very good one. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time.
We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.